Welcome to the Advancing Women Podcast, where ambitious women come together to challenge the status quo, advance their careers, and up-level their lives. The Advancing Women Podcast is hosted by gender equity expert and executive coach, Dr. Kimberly D. Simone. Welcome, warriors, to the Advancing Women Podcast. So this was an exciting week for me, warriors. After a decade in the Fortune 500, then almost two decades in higher education in the academy, I was promoted this week to full professor. And I am very happy for the recognition of my hard work, dedication, and accomplishments. And although I am enjoying the moment and basking in the joy of the achievement and recognition, I also find myself troubled. It is rewarding to make it to that top level. But I would be remiss not to acknowledge that while women make up almost half of assistant and associate professors in universities, we make up just a little over 30% of full professors. Although I have made it over the hurdle, many deserving, brilliant, qualified women in higher education do not. The academy still has a broken pipeline, and the promotion process is still not remotely fair or equitable. I came out on the right side of the decision in this case, but even in my case, the process, especially the committee review, was fraught with unconscious bias and a total and complete unwillingness to consider that bias could be driving any part of the process. Again, I am grateful that in my case, all is well that ended well, and I had tremendous support from outside reviewers, my peers, my dean, and my provost, but still, I am not satisfied with a system that continues to know better, but not to do better, and so I must continue to advocate out loud and to be a change agent in every way I can for gender equity in the academy and in every profession where women continue to be underrepresented. So in this episode, I want to talk about unconscious bias and specifically casuistic bias. Casuistry in its simplest definition, as it relates to equity in the workplace, is when specious reasoning is used to justify unconscious bias behaviors and decisions. So what do I mean by specious reasoning? Psychology Today defines specious reasoning as any argument or analysis that has the apparent ring of truth or plausibility, but is actually incomplete, deceptive, or even altogether fallacious. And it is both sneaky and dangerous because such arguments are attractive because they are seemingly well-reasoned or factual, so they can be deceptively persuasive. Especially when sound reasoning, seemingly fair assessment, is used to rationalize passing women over in the workplace, when upon further investigation, what we often find is that these quote-unquote fair standards were not applied equitably. There have been many landmark studies reproduced and corroborated that show that individuals engage in casuistry to mask biased decision-making by recruiting more acceptable criteria to justify such decisions. Studies demonstrate how casuistry licenses people to judge on the basis of information that appears unbiased to both others and to themselves. But while doing so, it results in gender or anyone really in the outgroup be looked at a little bit differently, but rationalized how participants justify decisions biased by social category information by arbitrarily inflating the relative value of their preferred 
candidate's qualification over those of others. And it is important to note that the criteria can be relevant and important, fair to ask even, fair to consider. How casuistry can thrive in this environment is in the fairness of the question, but in the inequitable application where it is applied very leniently for some candidates, but very rigidly for others, okay? And some of this is about balancing DEI initiatives and priorities with being seen as or feeling like one has to bow to norms of political correctness. So in that balance, bias can be cloaked by the suggestion that one criterion is just more important than another. And often, the criteria where the in-group wins is the one that is seen as being more highly desirable. And Williams and Dempsey talked about this in their 2014 publication, where they asked the very poignant question, quote, which criteria is most important? whichever one the male candidate has. Because what happens is that people will quantify and justify a decision based on a particular criteria, but the criteria can shift depending on the candidate. And casuistry can serve to both justify questionable decisions to others and to rationalize these decisions to oneself allowing one to maintain what researchers have called the illusion of objectivity, which is very desirable, right? This can be particularly present in morally charged domains like race and gender, which tend to raise questions of prejudice and bias, which will, of course, increase an individual's need to justify or rationalize their decision. That people attempt to justify or rationalize questionable or immoral behavior and the many ways in which questionable decisions, policies, or actions are justified and legitimized is well documented in the research, especially in recruiting, hiring, and promotion decisions. Attributes that support a preferred decision through reshaping the importance of qualifications or more generally by reshaping attributes of the social world can allow individuals to manage potentially biased decision-making. And this specious reasoning in hiring and promotion is casuistry. Seemingly fair standards are applied leniently to some and strictly to others. And sure, they appear fair, logical, and justifiable on their own. But when women are held strictly to these standards and men are not, when they are held leniently to certain standards, we have created inequity. In the worst way, because research shows that those engaged in justifying their decisions with this specious rationale that was not applied to all candidates equitably allowed unconscious bias in decision-making to be justified. And those individuals actually report feeling more like they have been exceedingly fair in their decision-making. And here's the big issue with this. We know it happens, but like so many things, the system... The organization sees this as a problem in other organizations by other committee members, never them, as though they are somehow immune to unconscious bias. And guess what? Nobody, not one of us, not the most staunch advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion, absolutely none of us are immune to the effects of unconscious bias. And as I often say, you can't clean your house if you don't see the dirt. If leadership in organizations are unwilling to examine unconscious bias, to walk boldly towards that bias so that perhaps they can interrupt the bias, then we can't hope to fix the problem. And it is a problem that can be fixed. We can't look at this as something that is insurmountable 
organizations can do one thing immediately that will interrupt this type of bias, that will show evidence that they acknowledge unconscious bias and are working to interrupt those bias patterns that can hinder the advancement of women and other underrepresented groups. It is this simple. Leadership needs to make a choice. Are you going to be a defender of the status quo? Or are you going to be an agent of change? It is that simple. Will you respond to inequitable outcomes by defending the status quo? Will you focus on what you believe you are doing well and how you are not part of the problem? Or will you look at the measurable outcomes? It's not if you feel it's fair. The processes and the policies that you implement that you feel are helping or should help It's about the outcomes, the performance indicators. Are you addressing the actual problem and seeing a shift in the outcomes to prove that your interventions are working? Let me put it plain and simple. If you feel you are doing everything to promote women to full professors and half of your associate professors are women, but only a third or less of your full professors are women, then you, not the women, You have a problem in your organization or in your process or in your policies. Acknowledgement is a crucial step. You, committee members, leadership, decision makers, you must be willing to acknowledge that it is not a level playing field and that there are indeed unconscious biases and barriers impacting the process. Acknowledge that bias is not a character flaw All people have biases. That's such an important thing to realize. It is not a character flaw. It is part of the human experience of living and experiencing the world in different ways. And as such, we all have bias. We must be willing to acknowledge that how we feel in terms of being fair is not necessarily a dependable indicator. Creating change is about looking to more objective indicators. And that's the data. If you have gender inequity, where 50% of the middle is doing great, but it drops off significantly at the top, you must acknowledge a problem, an organizational problem, a structural problem, a policy problem. Placing the blame squarely on the shoulders of the underrepresented person is a really crappy, lousy way to change things and a really great way to maintain the status quo. A few weeks ago, I had Chief Diversity Officer and Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion expert, Dr. LaToya Pierce on, and she really said it brilliantly. Allyship, being a change agent, is about a willingness to listen, to believe, and to validate. A huge problem is that people look at the process, the system, and their role in it and think it is fair. They are fair, that the process is fair and equitable. But if the outcomes are that qualified women aren't advancing and you are hell-bent on clinging to that everything is fair mindset, then what you are saying is that this group is not as good or deserving. And if you don't want to say that, then you must acknowledge some other explanation. You must admit that there is a systemic, organizational, or policy problem. So we've talked about the problem, right? And what we can do about it. We need to first talk about it. We need to be aware and acknowledge. We need to get better at seeing it so we can call it out and acknowledge it. So you may be on a committee and part of this process, and all of a sudden you kind of stop and interrupt and say, you know what? 
It feels like we're applying one set of standards and priority criteria for this candidate, but different criteria for another. And I'll give you an example that I've seen personally, but one that's also been proven in the literature. Research shows, and I'm sure you've seen this if you've ever been on a hiring or promotions committee, where let's say with a female candidate, there's a lot of discussion of the experience they lack, things they haven't yet accomplished, how they haven't proven themselves and just need a little bit more time. Then a few minutes later, in the same discussion with a male candidate, you hear about their potential. This is that prove it again bias and the idea that women are judged for their successes and what they have proven and proven and proven again, while men are often judged for potential. And we know through the literature that this is true, but we have to be able to identify it and see it and call it out and interrupt it in those moments to acknowledge that that can be something we have to keep an eye on and be mindful of if we want to make change. And I want to challenge organizations to consider and implement strategies to address unconscious bias within hiring and promotion committees. Has the group had unconscious bias training? Is there accountability for the outcomes of the hiring and promotion when it shows imbalance? We need to challenge the strategies that are often implemented to address gender discrimination and how they fall short, especially in those formal evaluative decisions made within organizations in their hiring and promotion. Intention does not always translate into effectiveness because, and this is a crucial component, we have to shift the focus from what the underrepresented individuals need to do or where they're quote unquote falling short and instead shift the focus to systemic and organizational change. How organizations rather than individuals should be the instrument of change. It's very simple. Organizations and leaderships must make a choice. You can either choose to be an agent of change or a defender of the status quo. We need to learn more, understand more, and do better. If you're thinking, I'd like it to be different, but it isn't anything to do with me or the organization, you are a defender of the status quo. That is the choice you're making. Learn to recognize the language, to challenge explanations where this is hidden or embedded. So for example, in my department where I just earned and was promoted to full professor, over the last 80 years, no woman has been promoted from associate to full professor. All promotions to full professor have been men. Now, the immediate defender of the status quo mindset is responding immediately with, well, do women go up for professor or maybe they're not as qualified? And you begin asking all of these questions about the women and why it's probably justifiable that there's inequity. But if you take a step back and apply logic to that, you have to acknowledge some causality. You either believe the individuals are the cause or that it is systemic or organizational. And if you choose to blame the person or the individual, then logic suggests the person is somehow less than, that that group is somehow undeserving. And I don't think most people want to do that. But the result is just that. When we fail to acknowledge that if we don't find flaw or less than in women, then some other explanation must exist. And that explanation can only be a systemic organizational process or policy flaw. So then let's get to focusing on fixing that. Then we move from defender of the status quo to change agent. Feelings of fairness and effort and interventions aimed at fixing inequity are not the best indicators. The outcomes are the true litmus test. 
If you don't see women or other underrepresented groups advancing and thriving, if organizations are to effectively address the shortage of women in historically male-dominated positions and roles, the interventions designed and implemented will have the best likelihood of succeeding if they take into account the factors that drive gender discrimination, the biases, and target them directly. Target the biases. Don't target the individuals. Look at outcomes versus intent as the key performance indicators and Fix the factors, not the individuals. We are not broken as women. That is not why we're not advancing to those top levels. Fix the discriminatory gender-based biases, not the individual. We know from extensive research that there are discriminatory explanations for women that stem from perceptions of a mismatch between the attributes that women are thought to possess and the attributes seen as necessary for success at that top level. This resulting incongruity forms the basis of negative expectations about women's performance, which can bias the processing of information. And it consequently facilitates discriminatory behavior, inequitable behavior, this casuistry. Gender stereotypes portray men as agentic and women as communal. This is not new. This is research that has been proven time and time again. Whereas men are thought to be assertive, bold, and aggressive, women are often thought to be relationship-oriented, nurturing, and kind. And the stereotypes are oppositional, too. So it's not just that women are seen as communal, but also as not agentic. So not aggressive, bold, or assertive. When they are any of those things or perceived as any of those things, there is backlash, right? So when women are self-promoting or assertive, they are not seen as polite, modest, and caring, and that can create backlash and bias. Unfortunately, those behaviors of self-promotion and assertiveness are seen as those necessary for advancements, while communal behaviors of politeness, caring, and modesty rarely get you there. These stereotype-based expectations about women's competence can bias the ways in which individuals make decisions about applicants and employees, a skewing in information processing in a direction that can validate decision-makers' unconscious stereotypical beliefs. The issue with hiring and promoting, of course, is that people fail to believe there is bias in their decision-making, and that is at the heart of all this. So we have to walk boldly towards that bias, acknowledge it, and interrupt it. So in conclusion, anyone in a decision-making role relative to hiring or promoting must be challenged to identify and acknowledge and address unconscious bias, and also to better understand what bias is and what it is not. It is not a character flaw, but rather a consequence of the human condition and one that must be interrupted to ensure a level playing field. The best strategy is to look at the outcomes and the data rather than trusting our feelings or self-perceptions. If you feel the committee is fairly promoting both genders, simply look at the outcomes. What is the scorecard? Look to that rather than the intervention or the ideal perceptions of fairness. Dismissing the outcome or blaming the individuals is being a defender of the status quo. This is about seeking a systemic organizational explanation and solution. Believe the data. Believe the science. Believe the research that exists. Stop thinking and saying, it's not like that here. Our committee doesn't have that problem, not in my backyard. 
Yes, in your backyard, it is happening. You are not immune and believing you are, despite indicators and evidence to the contrary, is dangerous, damaging, and irresponsible. And when we espouse the importance of diversity and inclusion, then fail to acknowledge unconscious bias in our organizations and in ourselves, it is both hypocritical and incongruent with being an agent of change. The research is clear and strongly suggests that if organizations are to interrupt biased performance expectations from tainting performance evaluation, a clear structure must be applied to the evaluation process. Organizations must work to design concrete systems for ensuring equal weights and equal criteria are applied across all. Structures that give evaluators no choice but to assess employees in a more standardized and fair way. Strategies to preclude evaluators from allowing their expectations to skew the importance of any given set of criteria. There needs to be accountability. Organizations need to increase the self-interest and motivation in their outcomes. Expect outcomes to be equitable and question when they are not. We need to create more transparency in the process so we can question inequities in the process. We need to remove the safeguards that hide inequity. Your decisions will be observable to others. You will be accountable for your decisions, especially when the outcomes of those decisions result in lack of representation. Leadership must be accountable, of course. But as author Dan Rockwell poignantly said, and my manifest statement for the week is this quote, leaders are accountable for accountability. So leadership and organizations must make the choice. Are your efforts about PR? Is this public relations saying that there's underrepresentation, but it's not your fault? Because that's being a defender of the status quo. Or are you prepared to boldly and bravely step up, challenge the status quo, and be a true change agent? Because until we have more change agents than defenders of the status quo in organizations, in policymaking, in leadership, and yes, on those committees that hire and promote, we will not see the change, the fairness in our efforts that is necessary. For more resources, you can visit my website, www.advancingwomenpodcast.com and connect on Instagram at Advancing Women Podcast. I love getting your feedback. So please email me at drdsimone at advancingwomenpodcast.com. I just want to thank Joe Jacobs, the audio warrior who wrote the music for this podcast. And a huge thanks to Heather Harris, the creative warrior who designed the Advancing Woman podcast logo. And thanks to all of you for joining me here today.